This episode of the podcast is with John Noonan, who's an SNC coach working in the Premier League. John talks about the movement matrix that he's developed at his current club and what he looks for in players in terms of movement quality. He also talks about what he prioritises when developing speed. Is Towards the end of the podcast, John takes about five, five to ten minutes talking about his views on developing as a coach. And I think that time is so valuable for coaches and everyone needs to have a listen to, to that part of the podcast towards the end of the show. I think it's really, really top information from John. So go, go check that out. If you haven't done so already, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Also, put on there which your favourite podcast or favourite guest has been, and please share it. Share it with other coaches, friends, family, whoever you may think will benefit from the information we're putting out on the podcast. Put it on your Instagram story, retweet on Twitter, share on Facebook. Please keep spreading the show. I really appreciate you listening. Here's the episode with John. Welcome to episode 16 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast. Today we're joined by John Noonan, who's an SNC coach working in the Premier League. John, how's things? Yeah, really good, thank you. And you? Yeah, good, thank you, mate. I know uh, you've had a few things on recently, so thanks for taking the time out of your day to do this. Oh, not a problem. Uh, you're doing some great work, so I appreciate you having me on and it's, it's great to be able to contribute. Good stuff. So just kick us off, John. Just go into your background and your previous experiences and take us up to current day. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, so I've, I've been, I think, full-time in the industry now for just over 10 years. Um, originally started within football. Uh, that, was, that was an internship opportunity working in the championship with Scunthorpe United as part of a master's programme that I had at University of Hull. Um, from there, we was fortunate to go to Chelsea Football Club. Um, and then after that, moved into collision sports, originally working with Rugby Union. Um, alongside that opportunity, I started working with some snow sport athletes. And then that eventually snowballed, forgive the pun, into a couple of full-time roles, working uh, a hybrid position initially within border cross, snowboard cross and alpine skiing. And then um, before I moved into a full-time role with uh, the GB Park and Pipe team, which is freestyle ski snowboard athletes. And that was a new program that was banded together in preparation for the Sochi Winter Olympics. Um, finished that role, went back into collision sports, this time with rugby league. And before I've come back around again, full circle, back into uh, the depths of LTAD with, um, with the current club that I'm, I'm working with now. So with your experience, John, you've obviously, with, with the club you're at, you've created a, a programme or you've added to the programme that you're running and you're working with uh, academy age groups at the moment, aren't you? Yes, yeah. So I'll, I'll head up the S&C programme from um, predominantly ages of 12 to 18, but 9 to 11 will, will fall under that remit too. So can you just touch on some of the, um, the programme that you've developed and also some of your views on athlete development and, and movement quality and everything that you've put in place for your current club? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I, I, I guess for us, really, if we, if we look from a, from a top-down view, it, it kinda, I, I kind of start with the end in mind. So I, I like to look at um, what, what are going to be the key objectives for us as practitioners uh, and where do we want to take the group of athletes that we work with through this journey of of athletic development so we'll we'll initially look at 
things like reducing injury incidents. Um, so everything around the individual, around the team that we're working with, around the stage of the season, uh, many of the elements to make decisions about what level of risk uh, a group or an individual might be at at a certain time. Um, and then the second part would be to make sure that obviously the programme fosters athletic development and prepares the players for, for senior football, whether that be um, the reserve team or the, or, or the senior team. Um, and as such, we'll, we'll, we'll funnel down from there. So if we look at the, the, the reduced injury aspect first, we'll, we'll look to profile players if they come on trial or when they initially start off as, as, as the youngest as 12. And we'll profile them um, at least three to four times a year um, so the first thing, actually, we're, we're fortunate to, to um, be one of the clubs that are part of the, uh, the Premier League fitness testing program. Um, so, so three times a year, um, those guys will come into our environment and help us perform a battery of tests, physical performance tests. Um, and they're largely performance tests, but of such, we, we, we can glean some, some injury threats perhaps from that. So 30-meter um, sprint, there's a 505 uh, agility, or, or should I say change of direction test, um, and then we also do the, the account movement jump test. We'll do other aerobic fitness testing within our, within our own battery, but um, they're the main ones from the Premier League. And then we'll do some additional testing on the side of that. And so the first one would be to assess um, players' movement competency. Um, athletically, how good are they? And, and what, what, what might they be at risk of in terms of playing the game if they're missing some... some that um, will, might uh, limit their ability to perform the sport well. So um, for those, we, we use the AAA screen or, or, or athletic ability assessment, and that was formed by Ian McKeon and colleagues. Uh, I think originally formed in, in Australia, but it's gone worldwide now across a number of sports. Uh, I've used it in different sports as well, actually, and I like it just because it's a really simple, easy-to-administer test, and it looks at uh, a squat or an overhead squat pattern, if you wish, uh, a double lunge, uh, a single leg RDL, a push-up, a pull-up, um, and there are some plank variations in there too, which we don't currently use actually as part of that. Um, but then we will use a single leg hop and test assessment as well. Um, it allows you to grade competency from, from a scale of one to three, much like the FMS assessment would. And then you come out with, with, a, with a subtotal of someone's level of, of athletic ability. Um, we'll, we'll use that information to, to figure out um, if we think they're a way off in terms of limb asymmetry. Um, and or we'll use that information to, to start them off on, on something that we call the movement matrix, which is basically an exercise program, and, and I guess we can get into that shortly. Um, in addition to that, we'll do some other testing. Um, off the pitch will be in the gym, so we'll look at um, absolute strength through isometric mid-thigh pull assessment. We're really lucky to have a great facility with a lot of resources, um, and, we'll, and we'll use um, the, the force decks as part of an inbuilt, um, an inbuilt system with one of our rigs, and the lads will do that um, two to three times a year. At the moment, admittedly, we're doing that mainly with 15s and up just because of contact time and trying to get the kids familiar with that level of assessment. Um, but then with, with more kids, more groups, we'll do things like can't even jump assessment using the force plates. Um, some of the hamstring, isometric, eccentrics. Uh, again, more with 16s up. And um, they would be, I guess, the, the main sort of performance diagnostics ones we do. Oh, and then, um, sorry, a groin bar as well. We'll throw that into the mix. Um, and then, I guess, looking at um, more, more assessments on pitch, uh, we, have, we have the Apex uh, stat sports system for GPS. So we'll run GPS and heart rate um, on all the kids from 12 to 18, every session, every game, every week. And, and that's a massive, massive undertaking that 
that we could only really do with the support of of some of the great staff we have. So Nick Coleman, he's a data analyst working with us in the sports science department, and Nick is tasked with with heading up that angle uh, of the program. And um, and then we'll also run a really large internship program uh, in conjunction with Liverpool John Moores University. We bring those students in, they help us um, deliver, you know, that 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 massive task of of capturing all that information, and then we'll we'll, we'll try and use that. Uh, information smartly with with some decisions again around maybe injury risk of players in season with workloads on the pitch um, and then also how we might want to want to draw on some of that information when we have conversations with coaches and we, we, we look to try and make some informed decisions about about the training program so can you touch a little bit more on the movement matrix now john yeah um so oh, yeah I, I guess a real quick overview initially would be that it was an idea I really fell upon when I was working in, in, in um, freestyle ski snowboard. I had a, had a slopestyle athlete who came in, a young male. Uh, he was my first real athlete that I'd worked with uh, on an intensive level, one-to-one, and didn't have any prior knowledge really about um, some of, uh, should we say, some of his, um, uh, any kind of performance stats, uh, his training history, really, it was a really brief setup of, of a meeting and I was expected to come in and assess and try and provide a program straight up. Um, so I, I went through the AAA assessment, as I've just described there, um, made some recommendations. He came to me actually because he'd stretched uh, his ACL, his right ACL. Um, so he, he, he was a threat in terms of picking up an ACL for that side. The medical staff felt that we need to do something different and introduced him to strength training. And I really wanted, um, I wanted a systematic way to be able to introduce strength training and then progress him logically but safely so that before I turned, returned to the sport, I was really confident about his level of ability. Um, I didn't have uh, access to things like force plates or the bells and whistles. It was just I've got a movement competency screen. I could do some basic strength testing with him, but he was just coming back from, from having a swollen knee, so we were pretty limited in our scope there. Uh, and I needed to engage this athlete with, with this is where you are, but this is where we're going to take you, despite the fact they didn't have all this testing diagnostics. Um, so really, it's, it, it's that in a nutshell. It's looking at a number of um, physical characteristics from upper and lower limb push and pull, um, bracing, rotating, jumping, landing, um, and bounding, and then in, 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 in obviously for more snow sport athletes, um, then I was looking at and things like some of the aerial skills and landing and rolling, things like that. But framing that more into football, so that was a really useful thing for me in that sport. And I just brought it into football, really, and went, right, here are all of our um, athletic uh, competencies we want to see lads do well from 12 to 18. We expect them, obviously, to improve as they get older. Um, but what's the pathway and how can we track that? And I think it's very, very easy, as I've just described a few times, to you know, tell a coach or tell an individual when they're getting stronger. But it's very often quite difficult to to, to track and scale um, the rate of progress in terms of movement competency, uh, movement skills, right? Um, and more often than not, when I'm working with 12 to 14s and I'm having a conversation with a coach or our guys are speaking to the coach about how impactful the, the, the strength and conditioning program has been, it's, it's sometimes difficult to say they've gotten stronger if we're not always doing some high-end testing in that area. We're not testing maximal. We're not doing maximal strength tests with kids. Uh, it's nonsensical to me. Um, but... But we can definitely give some give some answers in terms of listen. He might not have gotten stronger in a three or one RM squat, but his athletic competencies in squatting patterns is really really moving forward, and we've shown that he's gone from a level one to a level whatever. So we'll start our kids at 
the edge of 12 and a level one um, and based on their ability to pass a movement so we'll have an exit criteria which will be either determined by um, time so put holding a position for time uh, number of reps they can do at body weight for example or the more progressive exercises will will affix um, a pass in terms of load so maybe they have to lift a percentage of body mass to pass that assessment and then it'll move on and move on further um, and every week the, the lads can come up to us and say within the session right I've, I've done this one now for four weeks can you have a look at me do you think I'm ready to move on and we'll, we'll just use our subjective assessment uh, and make sure they're nailed on with that exercise and they're moving forward. So we want to kind of foster that development from one through to 10. So they're starting on the easy to more advanced progressions uh, later on. Um, anecdotally, what, what we've seen these lads come out and, and they're really well-rounded in terms of athletic competencies. Um, when I first arrived, we weren't using it. And, and I felt like when we moved players from the 18s into the 23s, there were glaring gaps in terms of what they could and couldn't do as athletes. And those things really limited their ability to stay, one, either injury-free, or two, um, have a physical impact on the pitch. And that was evident because they either weren't getting selected or they weren't in favour and they were getting loaned out somewhere else. So, um, it's been a, yeah, it's, it's been a vehicle for us to assess um, quality of support that we deliver. Are kids getting better weekly and monthly? And are we tracking it? And then thirdly, uh, engage the players with, with um, what's been a framework for... Um, I guess um, uh, kids who, who who invest in their own work, and um, um, I guess it, it really harnesses their motivation to to want to get better. Because you know, if you and I walk onto the program uh, and I'm on level and I'm on level five, and Ben, you're on level two, week after week, you're going to feel pretty shitty about the fact you're still on level two. And I'm continuing progressing every single week, so. It, inherently within the system motivation is built into wanting to get better uh, and we're giving kids a pathway to understand how to get better and more often than not I think that really speaks to their purpose about why they might want to go in the gym and how it relates to football and just in your experience John I think it's a real interest of mine so taking into account the movement matrix and everything you developed off the pitch how how do you um, communicate with coaches about how the players are moving on the pitch because the You'll speak to coaches a lot of the time and they'll use phrases like they don't move well or this player moves well. And I think understanding that and actually, actually subjectively looking at that sometimes is quite tough to discuss with coaches. So how do you find that? Yeah, it, it's an ongoing challenge, really. Um, I, I, I agree. You know, so we, we'll have some multidisciplinary meetings here where all departments will get around the table and talk about an age group and a player. Uh, and it's really, really easy to throw up some numbers on the, on the, on the board and talk about um, their performance in the benchmark test, so their sprint, their agility, their jump, their power. And I'll, and, you know, I'll use the other strength test to try and build a picture around it too. But of course, more often than not, working with academy kids too, um, there's an age bias or, or, or um, uh, a physicality bias to these tests, right? Because they're all tests with physical performance thread right throughout, and generally speaking the early maturing kids the athletically um more capable kids tend to come out really well in the tests yet some of your better more skilled um um products aren't always coming out uh, as, as as your gold stars in those tests so we've been quite uh, cognizant of that and we're having a conversation with the coach about yeah he's doing really well physically or this kid isn't doing so great physically however here's his potential for for athletic improvement 
And I think if we if we will try and draw on the movement matrix and the AAA screen, and we'll 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 show them the information and say they have improved their single leg stability or their ability to hop and land or change direction from here to here. And we can only do that by tracking their progress in the gym. And, and like I said, on the, on the AAA, if we're not doing those things, it's very difficult to, to bring some context to how they're improving. Um, and I guess the other thing that we do, which is a little bit more subtle, is, is around of our prep work on the grass with the coaches when we're using um, some of our running drills, um, uh, if you like, movement ability drills. We're having conversations with coaches weekly about how maybe certain kids are coping in those in those situations um and and, that, and the coaches are really interested in that because they understand that if they're moving well in a change of direction a simple change, change of direction task they see that translate really really closely to things like tight possession drills intensive spaces where there's a lot of high intensity accelerations decelerations change of directions so it's, it's quite seamless so we'll, we'll, we'll try and use um the coach's interest so so where they want to take the player to and then draw it right back to what are the fundamental um, movement and physical competencies that enable them to do those tasks really, really well. Um, you know, we, we, we've also flirted with the idea of, of trying to do some, um, some filming and some, some analysis on kids when they're doing some of the sprint tests or the change of direction tests. But honestly, it's, uh, it's, it's quite difficult to do, certainly of, or, or on a program that, that has such volume to it. Um, and we're, we're quite time poor as well, I guess, as many people are with how much contact time we get with the kids. So um, I guess we'll, we'll try and be really efficient with what we do, where we do it. Um, and, and, and more than anything, I think it's just having a balanced conversation with the coach about, yes, athletically, here's performance scores. Uh, here's maybe some injury risk information, but, but here's how the player is coping with, with changes in that program in terms of skill as well. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that. I suppose from from your point of view and in your role, you're supplying the coaches with the information that they need for the from the physical side, aren't you? So it's there, and when they when they get onto the pitch, it's very it can be very opinion based. So one coach might see one thing, one coach might see another. So as long as your job is fulfilled fulfilled in terms of the athletic development program and the movement matrix, that that has to carry over onto the pitch somewhat, doesn't it? And then it, and then it does come down to the coach's opinion. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. I mean, um, you know, I'm sure we've all been in conversations where, where coaches will, will um, really get quite excited about the physicality of certain kids, big, strong stature, and, and, and they're fantastic. And, and yes, you know, they can be physical characteristics that might make certain players more capable physically when they, when certainly when they become um, uh, into the teenage stages, but you know, I guess this is the, this is the, the challenge, isn't it? When you look at talent and, and you look at the early maturers and other kids that that are bossing alpha male in games, one on one drills, they're coming out the tops. But um, I think if our perspective is just looking at athletic um, prowess, then we we, we kind of miss the picture with either talent that might be a later mature but someone who still has a phenomenal skill set and actually might move really, really, really well. I mean, we've got. A few lads um, at that 14 to 15, you know, peak high velocity stage, who um, their movement hasn't yet quite kicked off, that their, their accelerated growth hasn't kicked off. So at the moment, um, they might not be a physical specimen or, or on the journey to be there, but they're phenomenal movers and they're extremely efficient in tight spaces and, and how they move the ball and, 
And, and it's no surprise that when you look at or you put them in drills that require good change of direction, good deceleration mechanics, they come out on top and they move much better than some of the kids who maybe growth has settled down yet. They're athletically big and strong. Um, so we'll try, we'll try and shape that, that impression of a coach. And, and I guess that's a, the difference between talent that shouts and talent that whispers. Um, and we'll, we'll try and have quite a, quite a balanced view on it really. Yeah. And you touched on it a little bit there in terms of efficiency, but can you can you just go into some of the speed work that you do with the players and how you approach that? Yeah, um, I guess similar to to a number of programs in that we um, so from the testing we'll, we'll be able to look at acceleration and top speed performance. So we'll we'll break down splits of five and ten meters, um, uh, the twenty meter and thirty meter. Uh, we're fortunate that we can we can look at that information and cross reference it against other clubs, albeit anonymously, um, who are at the same age group or, or across academy age groups. Um, so we've got an idea of objectively where we sit uh, and then how we affect kids between tests each season. Um, we'll work back from those, from those performance scores a little bit. Um, so we'll have, we'll have one eye on the performance and say, right, are you improving test to test to test? But I won't, again, because of the challenges in terms of uh, rapid growth, rapid height changes with academy kids, particularly from you know, anywhere from 13 through to 15, <clears throat> excuse me, I won't just get too excited about the fact that they're tearing it up in terms of numbers. And what we'll try and make sure, again, we come back to is the competency of running and moving well. So we've got a number of kids um, who move really, really well, but because the growth is all over the shop, um, but they still move quite well, so to speak, they haven't yet developed the skeletal mass that maybe makes them um, efficient in terms of propulsing their body mass in a sprint. Um, So again, again, speaking quite broadly, we'll look at a kid uh, a play, should I say, in terms of movement, um, and 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 we'll we'll lean on, I guess, some of the information that's out there, great information from the likes of Jonas Tawiyadodu, um, from Stuart McMillan, and that shaped a lot of my understanding about movement mechanics, but also trying to have a, I guess, quite a, quite a, quite a levelled perspective on are we developing sprinters and the type of sprint mechanics that we want there, or are we developing team sport and and and, and running athletes in that respect? So. If you're dribbling with a ball, obviously uh, your leg recovery has to be a lot lower because you're trying to maintain good contact with the ball or, or you know, where they dribble with, with the ball at speed over bigger distances. That's not to say that we're still not going to try and make sure that their leg recovery is, is akin to good velocity, top speed running mechanics, despite the fact that they're not running with the ball at their feet 24-7. And obviously the amount of time that they touch the ball in a game is, is very small in comparison to all the other tasks that they have to do. Um, so that that's one thing in terms of perspective. The other thing coming down is that um, uh, I guess for, for for us, one thing I, I push us a lot on, and this comes back to physical capability, is do they decelerate well? Um, so if we're looking at, at football, obviously these lads have got a phenomenal uh, acceleration, deceleration, change of direction uh, abilities. And they do those tasks, certainly most positions, more than they do top speed efforts. Um, so if we're looking at your fullbacks, you're going to say, yeah, of course, they're going to spend a high amount of time getting up to top speed. The other lads aren't, so to speak. So we'll try and make sure that um, within our teaching, before we start thinking about top speed mechanics, we're starting with acceleration, deceleration. And that comes down to position. So teaching them positions, make sure they can get into those positions well and they own those positions. And that would be just your athletic base. Thereafter, 
then we'll look to make sure that their pattern is is, is efficient, so they're moving well. Um, they've got good coordination. They're putting force at the ground well. Uh, their timing is great. Um, and more often than not, just looking at the legs alone rather than getting lost with with arm technique. Um, but for me, we'll we'll make sure that that the lads are really really efficient at decelerating their body mass before before they start to um, speed up and 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 get into hot water, so to speak. With they're travelling at high speed at 20, 30 meters, yet they haven't really learned or or or, or developed a really good sense of how to slow down, maintain momentum before they have to speed off and change direction again. Um, so if we look at things like ACLs, uh, meniscus issues, general knee issues, back issues, chronic-related um, injuries from you know pathology ba- pathology issues from movement, those are the kids who don't decelerate well. Um, and, and 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 we have those that exist in our program. You know, they're obviously everywhere, but these are the kids who don't look efficient, don't develop um, this well-timed stiffness to really constrain those forces as they go to slow down and reduce the impacts on their skeleton. So we'll, um, we'll start with short distances, uh, I guess getting into some theory now. So short distances, and then we'll increase those distances, and we'll make it more multidirectional before we start to introduce some chaos, and maybe we'll, we'll then introduce a ball. But only once we see them handle their own body weight and movement skills well without a ball at their feet will we introduce a ball. Um, and then once they've ticked that box, then we'll move them into more acceleration-type work uh, before we hit into top speed. So for us, we're, we're, we're kind of deceleration first. So master body mass, can they slow down? And it's coming back to, I guess, one of the famous quotes from from the likes of Bill Nose, don't speed up what you can't slow down. So so we'll make sure that, that they're efficient in that area first before we before we think about giving them unbelievable horsepower. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, um, that's an interesting point, isn't it? And especially with the stuff with, with and without the ball, because I think... It's probably changing a little bit more now, but a few years ago, possibly, it was coaches were very much everything had to be done with a ball or everything had to be done without a ball, and and the football was separate to the physical qualities. And it just shows that times are changing, and that um, coaches are understanding the rationale behind doing things a little bit more, and where the ball is needed, and where we need to take it out. One hundred percent. I mean, we're, we're challenged pretty strongly by by the coaching staff now. The, the I guess the technical models moved on a lot for them uh, and they really want to integrate um, the, the stuff that we deliver within the same session. So it might start off with some, um, as, as we term it here, ball mastery, which are just basic ball techniques, mastering of the ball before we even start to work with them and do more you running preparation work, um, you know, speed mechanics. Or we might have it at the start, but then there's a heavy, uh, heavy um, or should I say a big importance on making sure what we deliver is specific and it relates highly to the task that they're about to go and do. So the kids can see that this is joined up thinking between the physical and the technical. And, and there's, there's, there's no coincidence that generally speaking, they tend to move better within football if we can, if we can link and relate those tasks really closely. So, yeah, I mean, and I, I've been guilty of the fact that I, I probably kept it very separate in the past and thought, don't worry about the skill. Um, just the, you know, or, or handling of the ball so much we're just going to teach you to move well and the rest will take care of itself but I guess the demand has changed and coaches their insights are, are, are different now um, and, I, and actually I think we're, we're pretty fortunate to have such a good relationship with our guys and there's a, I guess there's a common respect both ways so that's, that's really healthy 
And just to move it on, John, can you? Um, I know you're passionate about this area, so I wanted you to speak about coach development. And we spoke about it there on how your views have sort of changed over the years and through your experiences. So, what do you see as the important elements of, of coaches uh, for coaches to progress in their careers? Yeah, um, I think there's a few, I think there's a few things. I think firstly you've got to have a plan. So, so much like we labour the importance of having a physical performance programme for our athletes and we periodise everything and we get down to um, the real high detail about how we do what we do. And I, I think the same has to be said for how, why we think about how we do what we do as coaches and where we are in our stage of development uh, and, and how that's aligned to, to the path of where we want to finish. So working with my guys, um, I'm really fortunate to have a great team of staff. And, and when we look at um, some of our coach review uh, meetings we will expect our guys at least to have a, a performance program um, or a coach a coach development program where we, we we make sure that what we're doing at the moment in some way shape or form is aligned with um, uh, some areas that they're motivated in so you know I mentioned one guy already very very motivated in terms of data analysis and how we li- how we link that with our sports science and our strength and conditioning um, we've got we've got other guys who are very very applied, very practical, and we want to make sure that that elements of their experience um, are really being touched on in terms of how they go out to other environments and they 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 glean experience from say collision sports or multi sports and how they might want to bring that back into into the way we work here. Um, and I guess sort of speaking from my own experience, I. I'd like to think I've been quite successful in, 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 in picking the roles that I was after because um, I planned pretty diligently about what I was going to do and how I was going to do it. So in other words, you know, it starts with this blue sky thinking of where, where would you like to be in 10 years, 10 years time? Um, and, and it might be achievable. It might not, but where would you like to be? What would be the ideal for you in 10 years? You know, you're going to be of an age where you're not, you're not an immature coach anymore. You've got some experience. You've been around you probably have some financial commitments as well, in mortgage, maybe some children. So you've got to think about that in terms of a role and will it fulfill you in those things as well? Um, and then what are the smaller, more manageable steps to get you to that, to get to that giant goal? Um, so you know, for, for me, and that, and that changed as I went through that process as well. For me, it was all about working. Um, and it, it still is to a point, but at the high end, I wanted the best, biggest jobs um, and as you're going through, I guess, each stage of experience, you start to realize um, what's really important to you as a person and as a coach. And you, you used the word earlier on about fulfillment. So does each role fulfill you personally? Um, so, so do you feel it, it sits well with, are you allowed to do what you, what, what you really want to do? Um, can you deliver of a level or in a manner that, that really speaks to your values and beliefs? Does it give it? Does it give you fulfillment in that sense? Um, does does the environment nurture and challenge you to develop as a person and not just as a coach? So again, sort of coming back to values, attitudes, and beliefs. So, is it an environment that allows you to have some good autonomy, and it speaks directly to your motivation, where you can apply your philosophies and your beliefs very strongly? Because we're all invested in getting better in our knowledge and skill set, but sometimes some environments can can certainly strain that and stifle a coach's development. Um, so they want, you to, they want it to be done in a certain way. And if that, if that is the case, then maybe initially you need more of a direct route because you, you want the framework, you want the system. But very quickly, 
people want to work in the in the way that they like or people that they want to work with. And as such, you need an environment which maybe would give you more scope um, for some flexibility and some variability uh, and do things in the way that you might like to, providing it still obviously gives um, gives gives the organisation or the company you work for uh, the returns that they're looking for. Um, and I'd also say in terms of in terms of knowledge, so um, you know, I'll, I'll push my guys to go out and and read certain elements of information and, and, and literature. So if we say you've got a guy who really wants to work, um, so one of our guys, I, mean, I won't mention his name, but he's very very invested and interested in in the end stage rehabilitation of, of our football players. And so a lot of the information, the things that I'll share with him and that we'll talk about off the cuff. Will be in will be in that area, um, and, and and there's there's no coincidence that you will get better at that area if you of your time specifically picking up that stuff, and and, and you'll pick, you develop a knowledge that will give you the ability to go and do that. But if you're reading really broadly, twenty four seven, you'll get better at stuff. You get better at a lot of things, and I guess this is where you have to think about in some stage: Are you going to be very, very general or very specific in how you want to work and what sport you want to work with. Now, I think definitely in the first five years, it pays to be a generalist. And you probably should still be a generalist in the next five years. But I think at some point we, ha- we all have to uh, realise and, and kind of get ahead around the idea that we might have to develop a level of specialism. And that might be either in uh, the way we think, the way we coach, or the sport that we want to work with. And there's a reason I think certain practitioners migrate to either um, certain sports, first teams, academies, private practice, um, and uh, you know they're all fantastic ways to work in. By the way, there's, there's no, I don't think, a superior way to work in, but it speaks to your coach fulfillment. Um, and so make sure that the experiences that you go after enable you to get closer to, to each one of those steps that might eventually skyrocket you into the top goal that you're looking for. Um, and I guess the last thing to add to that would be would be relationships. I'd have a plan with your relationship, so to speak. So without being too false um, and too fake when you meet someone and, and you want to want to strike a conversation, I would have a think about how you want to develop that relationship with that person. So if, if we forget for a, for, for a second, uh, you know, Ben, if you, if you come to me for a job and say, can I come work with you in your role in your sport? But then you, 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 the way you approach me is very much, I want, I need, I would like... I'm not hearing much back in terms of what you're going to do for me. And, and, and sadly, everyone wants something for themselves and they want to make sure that when they're investing in a relationship, yes, they're giving to somebody, but there's, some, there's something in it for them as well. And again, this comes back to uh, fulfillment and purpose. I, I need to enjoy that interaction with you. And I, I want to feel like you're invested in the things that you want, what I want. And in return, I might then give you things that you need, which is maybe experience, time, uh, might be advice, but it's it's illogical to walk up to someone and say, I've got this level of experience. Um, can you tell me how to go and do this? Can you give me this? Can you give me a copy of your program? Can I come in and deliver something to your group straight away? It's unlikely to happen. I'm going to need to feel like um, we've taken the time to 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 get to know what each other person needs, and that in some way, shape, or form, then we're giving back. So the reality is, I guess in football, definitely. I mean, internship programs, so to speak. A large part of the task might be water bottles and piss pots, and that's, that is the sad reality. But when, when other coaches see that you're a hardworking, uh, diligent individual looking to give something back to the organisation, do some of the menial tasks that are on offer, 
that's going to give you grounding experience and a point of reference when you're having a conversation with another environment about, listen, I've done the hard yards. I've invested in, in, in the early stages of my career. I'm looking for, for should we say, um, a bit more thought-provoking experience, and I'd like the opportunity to deliver. Fantastic. I can see this kid's been in an environment. I can see um, he's from, from good stock, so to speak. He's got some skin in the game. He's invested. He's going to come in and, and be a value rather than a hindrance and a nuisance because some are, sadly. Um, and, and I'm going to invest in him. I'm going to give him time. But um, I guess more than anything, it's, it's, for me, it's about having a plan, a logical plan, that where you start is aligned with where you want to finish. Um, and, and, and that you, at the heart of it, I guess, value relationships and people. So forget the fact that, that you're, you're someone looking for, for a role with an employer or a, or a coach that you might respect. Just, just think of that person as a, as a person first and foremost and make sure that, that we're ticking the boxes of, of those humanistic values before we then start to get too um, specific in, in what we might be talking about and why we're talking about it. I think those last few minutes, mate, are so valuable for coaches to hear. Like to hear the way you speak about all that is is so important, and and the approach that you take, and um, that I just think so many coaches need to hear that because I think in the last few years, with the amount of coaches coming into the into SNC and sports science, it's become hard for people to to end up in roles, and then I think it does put people off. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think we have lost some good coaches to other professions but at the same time we you have to have a plan like you just said you have to be flexible with the approach you have to be willing to work you have to be willing to show a good attitude and like you said not just take 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 you have to be willing to give as well and that will create opportunities and and sit you above um other people out there so i think that's so absolutely. so valuable to say that absolutely i mean i mean you know i it uh, I, I'd be pretty ignorant to sit here and say that every role that I, I was, I've gotten in my in my career. Well, one, I, did, I didn't get every job I went for, and there's lessons to be learned there. So, so you know, if if you fell at the first hurdle, don't worry because there will be opportunities and there will be someone willing to invest in you if you come across as the right candidate. Um, and that adversity should force you to reflect and think about what's missing in the way you approach that role, or is it just simply you didn't have the experience? And if that's the case, then that's fine. But make sure you try and, I guess I'm diversifying now, but you follow up on why you failed. So you look to contact that person and go, listen, um, understand it wasn't successful. Not a problem. Um, but, but, but could I inquire about maybe what you thought about my application or the way I cross, came across the interview? Do you, things that were, do you think there were some weaknesses that you saw in me that I might need to work on so I'm more successful in the future? And if you came to me and asked me that question, I think, flipping heck, that's someone who's really invested in cares. And that's pretty rare to see that. Um, you know, like you've talked about before, I guess the amount of coaches coming out, the industry is saturated and therefore you've got to have a point of difference. Throwing a token application, they didn't really take the time to get to know who you were. And we've all heard about, you know, these, these terrible um, examples of people who send out these generic templates um, and it's and it's sir madam versus the person you've sent it to you you didn't address the person maybe you weren't that professional in how the letter was constructed and it's very obvious that you've done what you did when you were 17 and you walked down the high street giving your giving giving your letter of inquiry out to boots burton's menswear <laughs> you know i've been there and yeah and that does that doesn't float the boat of some coaches who are working with um peers and coaches who demand excellence and you've got to be someone who adds value to, to that person's environment 
um, before you're unable really to, to probably get an experience which is really rich in terms of growth and fulfillment. Um, so I've, I've had some unbelievable coaches come and work with me um, and they've gone into to, to brilliant, brilliant roles. And the guys that I've got here, I'm sure will have a fantastic future in the sport as well. And genuinely, they're, they're just nice people. I think that's what it comes down to. Be a good person first and work on the relationships and the rest will come. Um, and, and I think if I, what made me most successful, it was about trying to be a good bloke and making sure that was really astute in conversation, respectful, had good humility, integrity when I, when I, when I spoke with somebody. Um, and I just, I just offered help and support, showed willingness, showed up on time, did the job to the best of my ability. And then the rest is history and, 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 and good things happen to good people, I believe. And, and there are a lot of people out there willing to give good people good opportunities. You've just, you've just got to make sure that you come across as that person. And if anyone wants any more information like this, episode nine of the podcast, we chatted with Jordan Tyra and he went into loads of information like this as well. So I think the combination of what John's saying here and what Jordan went into is, is really, is critical for coaches to hear. So really appreciate you going into that. But I know, I know you're heading into training ground soon, John. So uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up now, but just before we do, can you just touch on, I know you, spoke um yeah was it yesterday at UKCA uh, a couple of days ago yeah Wednesday I think it was yeah Friday internet mm-hmm. so you spoke then and you've got another uh, speaking engagement coming up so do you want to just touch briefly on uh, what you did with the UKCA and what's coming up so where the guys can see you speak yeah yeah definitely um so the 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 event the other day was um the I think the first calling it in the the inaugural excuse me um UKSA football conference which was held in Coventry um, and then that was the first time the UKSA put on a specific <clears throat> event, excuse me, for a sport, for football. Um, really well received looking at it. I think we had over 250 people, so that definitely shows there's an interest there um, and, and a willingness for football particularly to engage with the UKSA, which I think is brilliant. Um, there's a host of great speakers there. I really enjoyed delivering a, uh, alongside those guys to, to some friends and colleagues. And, and, and the talk that I did was, was, was about working a continuum of plyometrics um, I guess drawing on some of the things I've spoken about today, with with a, with a model and a program, and then making it um, specific um, and important for football in terms of again physical capability, physical performance. Um, the next thing for me uh, is the 20th of February. I think there's a the Northwest Regional Workshop with the UKCA. They're putting on another talk again, um, and I'll be there delivering alongside Paul Comfort and Tom DeSantos. Um, and I'll be speaking about largely about my role, a little bit more wider about um, some of the principles, philosophies, and practice that, that I have at the football club here, um, and, and, and and maybe some some lessons for, for coaches looking looking to get into that environment and be successful in it. So yeah, if, if anyone wants to see that, come on down. It'd be great to see loads of people there again, um, and come and get involved. Awesome, mate. And just finally, where if anyone's got any questions about anything you've been through, where can where's the best place for them to get in touch? Yeah, um, well, there's a couple of places. So, um, I mean, I'm trying to be more active this year on Twitter a little bit. So, the handle is John underscore M for mother underscore Noonan. It's a mouthful. Um, or the email, <laughs> which might be better, which is JCN85. No, JCNoonan85, excuse me, at gmail.com. JC Noonan 85. I'll put that on uh, in the show notes, mate, so everyone's got it. Brilliant. Lovely. Well, thanks a lot for today, John. I think there's some like 
real, real good information in there. So I hope plenty of coaches listen and, and take it on board in terms of what you said. So I really appreciate you taking the time and doing it. Mate, absolute pleasure. Great to chat. Thanks for thanks for your input as well. Some good stuff. No problem. Thanks, John. We'll catch up soon. Nice one. All the best. Cheers, Ben. Massive thank you to John for coming on the show. You can go and get in contact with John on Twitter. His handle is at John underscore M for mother underscore Noonan, which is spelled N double O N A N. And also, he was kind enough to give his email on the episode as well, which is jcnoonan85 at gmail.com. So if you've got any questions for John, I'm sure he'd be um, really keen to answer them. So get in touch with him. I thought it was a really, really informative episode and there was loads of takeaways for me. But some of the main ones were the movement matrix that he's designed and um, touching on the movement competency work that he does with his players and how he we had a little chat about how he actually thinks it relates to coaches' views on how players move on the pitch as well. I thought that was really interesting to get his views on that. And then also the importance of deceleration. So not just um, how fast players are accelerating, how quick they can run at top end, but how important deceleration is and how they're prioritising that at the club he's at at the moment. And then the, the big part, like I said at the start of the episode, was... Um, John's views on coach development I think everyone needs to go and listen to that take on board what he's saying I think it's really really vital at the moment for coaches not to just come out with qualifications whether it's coaching qualifications or um, degrees, masters but the the soft skills and the, and the stuff that John spoke about at the end of the episode there, are the, what, are the, they're the skills that are going to get you into these jobs and this is obviously, John's knowledge is obviously top, really really top knowledge but the way he's put himself out there and communicates with people is that's one of the reasons why I'm sure he's ended up in the roles that he has. So I think coaches need to take that on board and work on that. It is a skill that needs working on. Some people aren't great at it. Some people need to work on communication skills, skills and, the, and the soft um, side of communicating. But it can be done. And it's a really, really important side to um, working with players and working within football. If you haven't got your ticket already, tickets are still available for our Knotts meeting, our next next network meeting at Knotts County. This is an opportunity for you to come and build your network. So like we've just said, to create opportunities and roles for yourself, you need to put yourself out there and communicate with coaches. This is an opportunity for you to do that. So please come down. It's a free event. You do need to go and get your ticket. So it's available on Eventbrite. Um, but it's also on all of our social media. So on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, we will be posting the links out. Go and get your tickets. Friday the 22nd of February, 6 o'clock till 9 o'clock p.m. And we do have Johnny Wilson um, speaking for us at the event as well. And there'll be loads of coaches there that you can come and communicate with and build your network. So come and join us at that event. It'd be great to see you. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at FootballFitFed and Instagram at footballfitfed and uh, you can get in touch on email which is mail at footballfitfed.com and then there's also the website which is footballfitfed.com please also head over to iTunes leave us a review and keep sharing the episodes uh, keep sharing the podcast I keep wanting to reach as many coaches as possible the numbers are growing so I really do appreciate anyone that has shared it already Um, but keep sharing it friends, family uh, family, colleagues, 
anyone who you may think will benefit from the episodes. We've got some real, real top guests coming up. Um, some of the podcasts are already recorded and I know you're going to enjoy them. So please share them, get the information out to as many people as possible. Once again, thank you very much for listening and really appreciate your listens and we'll speak to you again next week.